This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. Now, for years, the stereotype of women in the menopausal and post-menopausal period was that of aging women past their prime and productivity. Now, let's make this stereotype past its shelf life as well. Um, I think it's a very outdated view of women going through menopause. Uh, and now, we women uh, have more options to improve health and well-being in their midlife and well beyond. So, menopause. Uh, is pretty much just another phase of life uh, that women are going through. So um, here on Health and Living, we are doing a three-part series on menopause, starting with the first one today. And um, I'll be speaking to consultant obstetrician and gynecologist, Dr. Premita Demodaran. Um, and a couple, a few things we want to do in these uh, short series. Uh, we'll be discussing significant updates in the clinical practice guidelines on management of menopause in Malaysia 2023. It was really just uh, recently released. And uh, for today's episode, we'll be looking at the use of menopausal hormone therapy. Um, What do women need to know about its efficacy and safety in managing menopause-related symptoms and problems? And Dr. Premita is also chair of the CPG Development Group. So really the perfect person to take us through the updates as well as to um, explain um, these issues and perhaps clear up some misconceptions for us. Dr. Pramita, how are you doing today? I'm very good. Thank you very much. And uh, if you have questions for Dr. Pramita related to menopause, um, whether you're perhaps concerned about the use of hormone therapy, uh, you're going through something that perhaps you're not sure um, how you should manage it, um, any sorts of these questions or perhaps your own experiences related to menopause, you can call us at 03-7733-2900 or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. Perhaps Dr. Pramita will start first with uh, an overview of what what were the major updates in the CPG, the clinical practice guidelines that were released this year? And how will this help doctors when it comes to being able to manage women going through menopause? Well, thank you for having me here. Um, I think this particular CPG, which is a 2022 edition, is a major revamp. It's the whole brand new thing, uh, again, about menopausal health. And I think it's really very important Because in this country, we know that menopause is around 50 years of age, and a woman would live one third of her life in the menopause. And looking at, you know, how we always look at high blood pressure management, and we look at diabetic management, but menopausal health management is completely different. It's an, it encompasses that woman as a whole rather than just one particular aspect. And that's what we are trying to aim for, at looking, individualizing that particular woman and looking at her health and then trying to see how can we make that health her, uh, her make her healthy for the next, say, 20, 30, 40 years of her life. And that's where this CPG comes in very useful. Um, the, the last CPG was about 12, 13 years ago, uh, but so much has actually come out in the last few years, and we know so much more on how to make our women happier and healthier. Yeah. And so that's our aim. Yeah. And that idea of menopausal health management, where it really should um, be part and parcel of helping women to, like you said, right, be happy, to get 
um, to be able to live that one third um, the, the, of her life, those years um, well. Um, but at the same time, I think menopause comes with its stigma. And, uh, you know, uh, like I said in my introduction, how, um, you know, uh, women are just sort of grinning and bearing with the, the problems and uh, the, the, the issues and their well-being not really being paid attention to as much, right? Yeah, I think menopause has, you know, has the stigma of like, it's a shame of growing old, of aging. And, you know, a woman is not said to be attractive anymore once she loses her potential of having children, you know, and, you know, now she's growing old. There have been so many jokes about menopause, but actually it's really, in reality, it is a health concern, you know, and, uh, you know, even sometimes, you know, many will say, oh, she's moody today because she's menopausal, but she might be moody due to a genuine reason, you know, of, of hormones changing in her body. So I think we should be taking menopause in a bit more of a, of a different viewpoint and trying to help women to go through this phase and not think negatively about it. Think about it as a positive change. You know, it is a it is a different phase of their lives. I mean, it's just like how we would go through puberty to, you know, being a teenager, a 20-year-old. It's a different phase and a phase where you should continue being happy and look after yourself. And I think that's really important. Mm. So what do we need to understand about the changes that women will go through during this phase, especially related to the changes in the hormones? Well, so we know that what happens for in, in a woman is very different from a man. So when she is in her mother's womb, she already has these little, little eggs. Let's call them the, the starter eggs. And, you know, she's born with these little follicles of the starter eggs. And as she gets on to being a, um, in a girl of about eight or nine and then, you know, starting off puberty and then she goes on to having her periods. Every month, she uses a little bit of these eggs. And then she slowly, slowly, you know, goes through all the good batches and the bad eggs. And then finally, there are no more of these little eggs left. And that's, these eggs are really important because they are the ones that bring about the estrogen that that woman needs, you know, to go on with her life. So that estrogen is our most important important hormone. It just allows us to work better, be more healthier. You know, we, we think better with estrogen, we look better. And I'm not talking about, you know, beauty as such, it's more about skin quality, eyesight, hearing, um, you know, the, the, uh, the function of our heart, the how strong our bones are, whether we are tired, all that is dependent on that particular hormone, estrogen. So when that estrogen slowly and surely starts becoming lesser and lesser, you know, let's say uh, after the age of 40 and things like that. So then we start feeling a few things changing in our body. First of all, our periods might change. We might start feeling a bit more tired before the periods. We might feel a bit moody. And then when the periods come in and everything sort of balances up in the body, we feel great again. The closer we get to our periods again, we change a little bit more. Um, you know, a lot of women uh, might find that they get very hot because their periods get delayed. Um, we're talking about, you know, hot flushes or feeling really heaty. They wake up in the middle of the night sweating. They can't sleep after that. And it's sort of, you know, 
starts off a vicious cycle. Then she gets more tired because she hasn't had a decent sleep. And all of us know, right, we need to sleep. So when we get up and we know that we've had lousy night, we get moody, we get, you know, stressed out. And that starts off the next day's process. So, you know, this is what actually happens. We are tired, you know, we want to go and exercise, but we just no oomph to go and do the exercise. But we know exercise makes us feel better, but we don't want to go to do, do the exercise. So the, all these things actually play a role. And it's sort of downhill for for many women. But, you know, Shai, I would admit that a lot of women actually breeze through menopause, you know, so some of them just have very few symptoms and good, fantastic. You know, I really, I really applaud them. But a lot of women actually go through a lot of these symptoms and they don't know where to go for help. And it actually affects the quality of their lives and, you know, and that affects their work home and you know and whatever else that they do and they get more depressed about it mm. because they might have been very vibrant women before but they get more um, introverted and not being able to express what they really feel so you know um it, it comes back again to perception and um, the stigma and women themselves perhaps dismissing some of these problems, people around them probably um, contributing to that as well. Um, perhaps uh, before we go into, uh, is there light at the end of the tunnel, right? If you say it's kind of, you know, if estrogen is going down and all these effects come in, um, what can we do to, to, to level it out? But before we get to that, I, I still want to get into those symptoms that women are experiencing because it has become something that a lot of people brush off. Oh, hot flushes, you know, she's just going through it. You, you'll get through it. Some well-meaning person may say, yeah, just a hand, you know, it'll be fine after a while. But is that the attitude that we should take, just the hand? No, I, I don't think so at all. I mean, of course, if you're having a hot flush like once in a few days, but otherwise, you know, it's not disturbing your day-to-day -day practice. It's not disturbing your quality of life. Then for all, you know, go ahead. Just, you know, just brush it aside. I mean, we all have pains here and there. We don't think too much about. But if something is persistent and it is actually destroying you in terms of how your your how you perform for that particular day at work or at home, and it's disturbing your quality of life, then please get help. And I think that's really important. Now, help can mean by you know it doesn't mean that if one comes to see a doctor automatically it's going to be medication, because a lot of women actually. Um, just need to be comforted and told that, you know, this is what you do. Why don't you increase the icon or, or rather cut down your, you know, temperatures at, at night to sleep or wear different kind of clothes. Don't drink a warm drink before you go to sleep. And that, you know, empathy and trying to look at her as an individual and trying to get her comfortable with her body already may make her feel so much better. And then, of course, answering her questions about what's future like, how long is this going to go on for, and is there anything to be done, it actually opens up her mind towards the fact that there is help. And, you know, even if she does not want to get treatment for that particular time, doesn't matter, but she knows where to go for help if she actually needs it in the next month or in six months down the line when things don't get better for her. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. But not only that, it's also the fact that you're coming to see a doctor. Let's talk about your general health. You know, have you done this checkup? 
Have you done your mammogram? Have you done your pap smear? Um, you know, is there anything else in the family history that we need to look at that, you know, as we get older, we may be subject to some problems. You know, should we concentrate on these particular areas? So now picking up these little risk factors and trying to then sort of look at her health and tell her what to do for her own future is also something that is really important because we're putting that direction into her and hoping that she would then follow that direction because instead of just sort of a blind leading a blind person, you know, this is her health. And what we can do is actually point her to do what would be good based on her present condition, her family history, a genetic link, and then look at what her future is going to hold. Does menopause and its corresponding drop in estrogen uh, cause or increase the risk of the more severe uh, health problems like heart disease and, and cancer? Oh, yes, it does. Because, well, let's talk about cardiovascular disease. Now, we know that um, that's a leading cause of uh, you know, mortality in this country, men and women. But if you look at the stats, men are more subject to cardiovascular disease, even in their, in their younger age group, in their 30s and 40s. But women, once they hit 50s and 60s, are on par with the man. It's because that hormone's not there in their body anymore. Estrogen is not protecting their heart anymore. So when that estrogen levels come down, their risk of cholesterol levels going up becomes more. And women's, women have got smaller blood vessels uh, in the heart compared to men. So the risk of blockages are much more. Um, and when a woman um, has a heart problem, the risk of her dying from that heart problem is actually much higher than of a man. So because of that, that is one of the major leading problems. Now, we also know that, um, especially in this country, the risk of diabetes higher, especially with the menopause, the risk of high blood pressure is higher. So when we are actually questioning the woman on her family history, and we ask them, you know, when did your mom and dad get their medical problems you know do they have medical problems um if they if her parents or family members have had um medical problems later in life at 70 then we're not so concerned but if they've had an early onset medical problem then this lady is also subject to that so we need to put that that she needs to be careful about all these things so definitely um you know heart and um, all the um, metabolic problems are important and we know that women also once they go through menopause, the risk of putting on weight is also much more. Unfortunately, it's you know that it's it's a midriff weight that comes on, so you get a bit of a fold, um, and that fold um, actually increases then your risk of all the other metabolic problems. So it becomes a sort of a you know you you're trying to lose the weight, but at the same time your risk of all these problems are higher. So it is a battle that is always ongoing for that lady in the menopause and trying to get her to work on that all these little little things slowly. You know nothing's going to be achieved by you know magic or you know there's no magic drug that's going to uh, you know get you back to normal. But trying to make them understand of all these small little steps that they can do to make it better, I think would be very, very helpful. Mm. So, and of course, let's not talk about, let's not forget about the bones because we do know that estrogen does protect the bones. Mm. And as a woman gets older um, and, it, and she's, you know, into her menopause, um, the bones 
the bone density gets lesser. And so this woman is then subject to increased risk of fractures. And fractures, we're talking about, you know, fractures, spine, hip fractures, um, and, and, you know, uh, and we are actually at the highest risk. Asia is actually at the highest risk of the hip fractures in the next 20, 30 years because our risk of osteoporosis is really high. Mm. So uh, all said, what it means is that as a woman is going through menopause, there are um, related symptoms, there are increased risks, but also it's an opportunity to be looking at um, what she needs to look, uh, you know, interventions, you know, what she can, uh, like you said, right, all the little things that can make up the bigger picture of helping her manage all these issues. We'll go for a quick break and come back to discuss, you know, what exactly uh, can be done to help women as they're going through menopause. And uh, we want to look at menopausal hormone therapy therapy as well. I'm speaking to consultant obstetrician and gynecologist Dr. Premita Demodaran. It's the first of our three-part series on menopause. Call us if you have any questions or thoughts you'd like to share. 03-7733-2900 or WhatsApp 18 789 Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. My guest today, consultant obstetrician and gynecologist, Dr. Premita Demodaran. We're discussing menopause today. It's the first of our three-part series, um, one every week uh, for the next couple of weeks, where we'll be looking at um, several areas related to menopausal health and how to help women manage um, whatever symptoms or problems that may arise during this phase of life and how to ensure they can be happy and well. Um, you know, in, in the uh, many years to come. Um, do call us if you have questions or uh, you can also send us a WhatsApp message or a voice note. The WhatsApp number would be 018-789-8899 or you can call 03-7733-2900. Dr. Pramita, um, the symptoms that you mentioned that come with the reduction of estrogen levels in the body, tiredness, moodiness, hot flushes, night sweats and all of that is a vicious cycle, which then affects sleep and uh, mental well-being. Um, how long could this period last for, um, the, the whole period of menopause and, and these corresponding symptoms? Well, I think it varies because I know that there are some women who haven't had any single symptom, you know. Um, and then you have some who have some symptoms. Um and you have some women who go through menopause and they might get only symptoms about one to two years down the line. So it does vary from women to from, from woman to woman. But on an average, I would say about two to three years. Um, we have a small group of women up to even up to about 20% of women who may continue flushing even up to the age of 70 years. And these are the women that if you, you know, if you if you continue flushing beyond 60, we are actually told to pay a little bit more attention to you because of the fact that we need to look after your heart a little bit more. Um, we need to look after your bones a little bit more because there have been found, they, you know, these women who continue flushing, there seems to be a link to more heart disease and bone density problems. So, you know, we've been told to sort of pay attention to this special group of women. But generally, I would say about three to five years on an average, more likely about three years. 
So if we want to look at um, what can be done to help women maintain good health during this period, you've said already it, it doesn't have to be a conversation about medication straight away. A lot of it is that emotional and psychosocial support, empathy, validating what she's going through, right? But is there a need then for medical interventions to come in? Yes. So basically, I think how we would start off is trying to understand her problem. And, you know, with this fear of menopause and, um, you know, a lot of women feel that they would overnight become old and decrepit. So trying to get her to understand that, you know, that's not what's going to happen. And, you know, looking after herself, you know, in terms of, you know, what's her daily activity like? Is she exercising? Um, you know, getting her to be a bit more active, looking after her food, um, you know, sleep early, changing, you know, all the gadgets, switching off all the gadgets a couple of hours before sleep. Simple things, which I think would matter a lot. Going for a holiday, going for an you know, mm. a massage makes you feel so much better. And what I try and say, I always ask these women, do you have time for yourself? You know, in all that day activity or the week's activity where you're concentrating on work and family and husband and children, do you have time for yourself every day, even if it's like 10 or 20 minutes where you might just sit down and not do anything? or read, a, read a, a book or a magazine, because that helps you, okay? And for me, and as I always tell everyone, you know, for me, it's that 6 o'clock in the morning to, you know, about 7.30 in the morning where no one disturbs me because that's my time. It's me time, you know, where I sort of re-energize myself for that particular day, you know, mm -hmm. and that's my time. So everyone's got to find that time because I feel that that's really very important um, for you to then sort of balance out you know, what you want to do for that day and, and think, you know, in which direction that you want to go. But saying all that, of course, all this may not, it may work for some women, it may not work for some women. And that's when then we start talking about, you know, replacing those hormones in your body. And that's what we talk about, menopausal hormone therapy. So putting back that estrogen into the body, sort of balance it up a little bit, just give you that little bit to make you feel a little bit better. So when we replace, we are not replacing in doses that, you know, one would have had previously. We're just giving that little bit to tweak things up. And always the lowest dose that is a dose that we are looking at. So we can give estrogen as in the form of a tablet. We have the gel. We have the uh, spray. So we are very fortunate now in Malaysia because we have different type of estrogen preparations and that makes it more beneficial to the woman we can play around with it get her the right tailor make that treatment for her so we have this golden rule that um, you know if that woman still has a uterus and she's not had surgery to take up that uterus for say fibroids or anything like that then she needs two hormones it's the estrogen and the progesterone hormone. Because if only estrogen is given, it can cause problems in the uterus and then she can have a lot of bleeding issues and things like that. So we need to balance things up. So we need to give her also another hormone that's called progesterone. So how do we give that, or, uh, that hormone? It can be given as an oral tablet. It can be given as a vaginal tablet. And we also have like a little intrauterine device that has got progesterone. So again, you know, trying to find the best 
mix for her that would work best for her. Okay, mm. say a woman does not have a uterus, then we are just giving her estrogen only, and then she just goes on with that. Okay, mm. and always the lowest dose. And most times, I can tell you from my personal practice, eighty percent of women are comfortable with the lowest dose. All right, mm. and they just need that to make them feel better. You know how we are like we suddenly feel wow. You know we just feel better, and that motivates us to do much more. And that's what we want. You know, just to give them that little oomph that maybe she sleeps better. She has that. You know, she smiles a little bit more. She feels happier about herself. She has a little bit more energy, and then she just goes on to get more and more things done. All right. Mm. So that's the idea of replacing that hormone into her to give her that quality of life mm. and we know that that would also help her with her mental state will also help her with her cholesterol levels cutting down the risk of cardiovascular disease it'll also help her with her bone density cutting down the risk of osteoporosis so a lot of other you know a lot of other problems and we haven't even talked about um, you know the genitourinary problems where she gets a lot of vaginal dryness and bladder issues so it would help her even with all all the other issues. So clearly, estrogen is one of those things you really don't notice it until it's gone, isn't it? Very, very essential. Yeah, very, very important. Mm. It's just like a man is testosterone and for us, it's the estrogen. Yeah. So um, meno- uh, menopausal hormone therapy um, used to be called a hormone replacement therapy. And perhaps many of our listeners are more familiar with that or, or, or the short term HRT, right? And um, it's not got a great reputation though, Dr. Pramita. And a lot of people are either afraid or suspicious of it. Now, let's clarify uh, some of that. Yeah, so um, I think H- HRT is still some, sometimes very commonly used. Um, up till 2001 was actually a big thing. Everyone was waiting to reach menopause and get onto the HRT. And, you know, it was, you know, it was really uh, something to look forward to. Then somewhere in 2001 and 2002 came this huge study in America where they uh, it, we called it the Women's Health Initiative, the WHI study. And this study sort of put a spanner in the works. And overnight, women stopped their hormones because of the fact that this particular study came up with these statements that say that if you take hormones, um, you are going to die of breast cancer or you are going to die of a heart attack. So they were very blatant statements that came in. Um, and uh, because of that, I think that fear has been so, so difficult to change. And, you know, many are still worried about that fear. In fact, the investigators of WHI, the same people that actually came up with those sentences and those statements at that particular time, have done a complete reversal in their statements. And along the years, I mean, you know, in the last 10 years or so, the same investigators have come up and said they were wrong. And the way they looked at the study at that time was really wrong. And right now, the use of menopausal hormone therapy is actually really safe for the younger postmenopausal woman. That means we are looking at a woman who is either less than 60 years of age or within 10 years of menopause. So for the younger woman, it is actually very safe for them to take menopausal hormone therapy and their risk of getting heart problems and all the other problems that were supposedly associated 
with HRT has all been taken away and their risk of dying of any of these diseases are also much lesser with the use of menopausal hormone therapy. So the whole thing has actually changed. And along the years, we have learned who to give it to. The, the, we, we call it the estrogen window. That means the younger women who have just recently menopause, rather than someone who might be, we wouldn't start someone who is now 65. Now, let's say she menopaused at 52. She's already gone through 13 years of her life without the hormones. There might already be problems that have started off in her body. Her cholesterol levels might be already very high. She might already be having blocks in her arteries. And then when we give her hormones, it's not going to do you any good. So it's like, you know, we want to start off early and prevent rather than use it when there is already established heart problems or any other issues. And then your hormones are not going to help. So the younger woman is always the most beneficial woman to start on menopausal hormone therapy. So we're trying to bring this all in. Plus, not only that, we now know that there are different ways of giving hormones. So if we swallow a tablet, uh, it goes to the liver and get, gets broken down. And sometimes that may affect that woman differently. So women with certain issues like who are bigger in size or with already established cholesterol problems, we give them the transdermals. That means we rub it on the upper uh, upper arm. These are gels that they can use that they rub on the arms and the thighs of their bodies. So much easier. It bypasses the liver. It saves your liver, cuts down your risk of heart problems, cuts down your risk of thrombosis or blood clots, cuts down your risk of um, uh, you know breast cancer. So there are so many things that we know now that we can then apply to that particular woman and then tailor make that particular menopausal hormone therapy to suit her better and most importantly, make it a safe drug for her. Mm. But just very quickly, it's not completely without risks. Am I right? Oh yeah, correct. Now, no drug, let's be frank about it. No no drug is without risk. Every drug, even antibiotics, we can tell you, you can have an allergy, you can have, you know, um, stomach issues. No drug is without without any problems. So when we give menopausal hormone therapy, there has to be a reason why we give it. We give it to women who cannot cope with their menopausal symptoms, whose menopausal symptoms are disturbing their quality of life. We wouldn't give it to someone who's got no symptoms. Okay, so there has to be a reason, number one. So the, the use of uh, hormones for her would be beneficial because it would help her with handling all her symptoms or treating all her symptoms. Now, when we do that, then we're choosing the right type for her. So initially, we do tell women that they might have some bloating, headaches, breast tenderness, not for everyone, but, you know, for some women. But again, if it's giving them a problem, then we would tell them that, you know, okay, we'll change it to something else and find a better one to suit her better. But coming back to the three main areas that, you know, have always been associated with the risk, uh, the risk of hormone therapy, that is cardiovascular disease. We now know that it, it actually, in the younger menopausal women, they are actually very safe. Like I said just now, don't give it to an older woman. So the risk of cardiovascular disease is actually out of the window right now. We also know that progesterone, not the estrogen, but the progesterone actually played a more important role in increasing the risk of 
cardiovascular disease. So now we have the safer progesterones that you can use, the dufastons and the didrogesterone and the utrogesterone that we can use. So we know that they are safer and they do not increase the risk of, um, of cardiovascular disease. We know that strokes and thrombosis, not very common in Asia and very uncommon in the younger menopausal women. So that's why it's safer in the younger menopausal woman. But saying that, we have to evaluate that patient. So if she is bigger in size, she's a smoker, she's already got high, high risk of thrombosis, we're not going to give her the menopausal hormone therapy because she's she wouldn't be an ideal candidate. Mm. Then the final bit actually is about breast cancer, where women are always worried about breast cancers. And we need to explain that as we get older, our risk of breast cancer is anyway going to go up. So we know that there is an age-related increase. But at the same time, when we look at Malaysia and our stats of who is at highest risk in Malaysia to have breast cancer, it's actually the 40 to 60-year-olds who are probably not on hormones. So a lot of my breast cancer patients, uh, doctors, of deal, my, the, my colleagues who deal with breast cancers would tell me most of their patients are not even on hormone therapy. It comes from stress, family history, and a lot of other components that actually increase their breast cancer risk. So, you know, by denying these women um, hormone therapy when they're having a lot of symptoms, just for a possible increased risk of breast cancer is actually denying them, you know, that quality of life. But being frank about the risk, that means if you take hormone therapy for more than five years, your risk of increasing breast, your, your breast cancer risk might increase by two out of, say, 1,000 women. So you might have plus two out of 1,000 women who might have breast cancer. That means 1,000 women have to have go on hormone therapy and two of them may have breast cancer. So, you know, look, looking at those kind of numbers and then explaining them that, you know, you need your mammograms, you need your um, checkups regularly, which is very, very important. And also balancing that with the, the the benefits that hormone therapy is going to give to their body and, you know, individualizing, again, therapy, the correct therapy. Does she, would she need hormones for five years? Is she one of those who's going to go on for five years and beyond? And if she is going to go on for more than five years, do we change doses? Do we make it lesser? So there's a lot of things that we can do uh, to make it a much safer remedy for these women. All right. So that is a um, pretty comprehensive look at um, what were thought to be the risks of menopausal hormone therapy, uh, a better understanding now of uh, where it is safe in uh, women who uh, are below the age of 60 uh, within a 10-year window uh, from when their uh, menopause first sets in. Um, we've got a few questions through WhatsApp, which uh, I will get to after the break. Uh, you can keep them coming in, WhatsApp 018788. 98899 or call us at 0377332900. I'm speaking to consultant obstetrician and gynecologist Dr. Premita Demodaran about menopause and the use of menopausal hormone therapy. Stay tuned to Health and Living BFM 89.9. 
Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik, and my guest, Dr. Premita, the modern consultant obstetrician and gynecologist. We're discussing menopause and the use of menopausal hormone therapy. Uh, we've got a few questions on WhatsApp that I'd like to address. Um, strangely, they are all from men, Dr. Premita. I don't <laughs> well, in a way, I'm happy. I'm still happy yes. that the men are asking questions. That's I think really it's great. Good. Yeah. So Charles is asking, um, isn't bioidentical hormone therapies better? and safer than synthetic hormone therapy? Well, actually, to be very honest, uh, bioidentical is what we are using. And the so-called bioidentical, that the terminology that many actually use is compounded hormones. So um, the hormone therapies that we are now using uh, for our women are, are as close as possible to our own hormones. So yes, they might be synthetic, but the structure, the biochemistry, everything is as close to normal as we can get. So actually we are using the bioidentical and the so-called bioidentical that the word bioidentical that many are, are out there using is actually coming from compounded pharmacies. So these are uh, doctors who have got their own own pharmacies in their backyards or you know uh, other areas and they are making the drugs themselves so it's actually not government approved there are no clinical studies um, and there's no other data because it varies from woman to woman um, so there's a lot of difference okay so those compounded hormones versus what we are doing because if anyone I, I would like to ask you know, if someone asks me, doctor, what is the risk of this particular drug at this particular dose? I should be confident enough to tell them that this is what it is. This is how it's going to be. And this is what I would do if, you know, you have this kind of reaction. I mean, this is the answer I'd like to give. But I can't do that for the compounded hormones because there are no studies. And, you know, and, and doses are tweaked up and down accordingly. So um, we have no idea what's going on behind that. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, Winston is asking for his wife, who's going through menopause, uh, goes for regular checkups at the government hospital. Does she need to do a pap smear or any other test? Well, I, you know what? I'm glad she's going in for regular checkups and I'm, I'm glad he's asking about his wife. I, I'm really happy about that one. Um, yes, I think... Um, First of all, every woman should get a checkup done once a year. And I think whether you're married or not married or whether you're sexually active or not, I think a checkup once a year to just sort of, you know, talk about health, even with your own general practitioner or government hospital. Um, now, coming to pap smears, yes, we have different types of pap smears these days. We have also got the three-year pap smear. So dependingly, um, depending on you know where they've gone to do the pap smear, it might be the yearly smear or the three-yearly smear. And that goes on regularly till she is 65 years of age. And if all the preceding results have been normal at 65, she can stop doing her pap smears. But I always bring in a disclosure here. And I say that unless she changes her partner. So if she's got a new partner on board, then please continue your pap smears. So that's the only disclosure I will have. Yeah. Okay, Winston, I don't think you have anything to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> so um, definitely those pap smears, and if they're normal, uh, can stop at the age of 65, 65. Um, uh, or for, for the average woman. Um, Mary's um, asking, so Mary's 70, has had her womb and ovaries removed at the age of 47, um, did not take any hormone therapy. Uh, 
so Mary's 70 right now, yes. Um, she says she still gets hot flushes, has to wear very thin clothing to feel cool and comfortable. Should she start menopause therapy now? No, I'm sorry. Um, so that estrogen window that we talked about, which is 10 years um, from the last period or less than 60 years of age. So that's that estrogen window. Now you're 23, Mary, you're 23 years past your uh, hysterectomy and you're still having hot flushes. And as I was saying earlier on, so if those women who are still having hot flushes beyond 70, might be a good idea to go and have a checkup for the heart, check the bones, just to make sure everything is okay. Um, and see, make sure that, you know, the, the cholesterol levels are okay, heart functioning is okay, bone density is okay. And, you know, if, if all that is okay, then continue wearing the thin clothes and going through life. But otherwise, no other hormone therapy. No. Mm, so what uh, women like Mary should be doing is really just to make sure everything else is... Yes, um, correct. You, you're keep, yeah. keeping your eye on those other risks that may be sort of underlying, right? Um now, coming back to sort of women who can take a, a hormone therapy if they're in that safe window, you were talking about sort of, um, you know, do we do, do, would she need it uh, past five years or things like that? Is there a, a sense of what is a typical duration for a woman to be on hormone therapy? Well, there's no time limit now for the use of menopausal hormone therapy, but we do tell women that every time they come back for their annual examination, uh, where we will be doing certain tests and things like that, and that would also, uh, you know, um, uh, they would also discuss their risks and benefits continuing for the next year and seeing whether she needs it, does not need it, um, how would if she's planning to stop how would she stop so this is a very important conversation that we should have now many women from what i see um they usually would stop within five years there would be a small minority that continues um who may have already tried to stop it but have found that they just could not stop it because it really affected their quality of life. And, uh, and, and then they have resigned to the fact that, you know, if something gives them that quality of life, they would continue doing it with continuous checkups. Okay. Um, so the, it is, it's more the fact that what suits that particular woman. But if I look at my own practice, I would tell you about 80% would stop within five years. But the question comes about how do we make them stop? Because that's very critical. Um, you know, when one is going through menopause, it is a fact that we, uh, the body is getting used to lesser and lesser hormones over a period of time. And that might be like five years, you know, it's slowly, slowly getting lesser. So now let's say a woman is on hormone therapy. How do we stop it? Because if we stop it overnight, then she might go into another menopause effect, you know, and then suddenly everything else comes on. So we need to be frank about that, that some women might get that resurgence of all the hot flushes and mood swings and tiredness. And we need to tell them that that may happen. So what I normally will tell my woman, my patient is that find a time ahead of you. 
if you really want to stop your hormones, find that three months or six month window where you can work on yourself and, you know, and, and find a time where you're not stressed. You know, there's no wedding in the family or, you know, um, you know, there's no like major events going on that you can start preparing for that phase and, you know, get more of your exercise in or holidays in, um, you know, just making, giving yourself that space to try and cut down that hormone uh, in your body and see whether, you know, you would be successful in taking off your menopausal hormone therapy. Never stop it overnight because the chances of that rebound effect is really high and then you would go back on it again. Mm. And so by doing by finding that space, by finding that time for yourself, and also a lot of men, you know, talking to yourself, I'm going to stop it. Yes, I might have some symptoms, but it's okay. I will be able to get over it. So by doing that, then that makes it a lot better. And then you have a higher success rate of stopping your hormones. And only a few would then actually go back onto it for long-term therapy. Mm. So basically, you're doing other things to... Um you know, keep the scales balanced, right? Not yeah. just letting it drop correct. completely. Yes, correct. So um, let's wrap up, Dr. Premita, for uh, our discussion today. What, again, is the takeaway for women who are um, possibly facing menopause or perhaps already experiencing the symptoms and not sure, not feeling sure about whether they should go on menopausal hormone therapy or not? What's your message to them? Well, I think... My biggest message is that please take menopause positively. Um, you know, uh, it is not the end of life. It is actually a start of your next 20, 30, 40 years of life. Um, prepare for it well. Um, yes, you may have some symptoms. If you need help, you know, menopausal hormone therapy is very safe for the younger postmenopausal woman. And we know how to tailor make the best type of hormone therapy for you, which would be safe and treat you uh, well. So over the next two weeks, um, we will continue to discuss several other menopause-related issues. Next week, we'll be looking at osteoporosis and uh, bone health, managing that as part of menopause. And uh, the week after that, we'll be looking at genital urinary uh, symptoms related to uh, vaginal, uh, urinary and uh, sexual function issues. So uh, you'll want to be tuning in to those um, the uh, next two Wednesdays uh, at the same time. Uh, here on Health and Living. I've been speaking to consultant obstetrician and gynecologist Dr. Premita Demodaran um, for the first part of our three-part series on menopause. Thank you so much, Dr. Premita, for Thank that conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.